Hello again, and welcome back to the Replatform podcast. Uh, it's myself, James, and joined as always by Paul Rogers. Mr. Rogers, how are you doing, mate? Thank you. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, not not bad. I'm I'm intrigued to see where this uh, this episode goes because it's going to be a slight freeform one. Yeah, absolutely. I quite um yeah like these like improv ones. Yeah, think. exactly. Um, so thanks for everyone who's tuned in. So we're talking today about key platform considerations for peak trading. So we're, I mean, it's currently um, the second week in November. We're weeks away from Black Friday. And given the continued impact of COVID-19 and shopping behaviour, online is is expected to spike again this year and beat last year's record sales. Um, but I mean, Black Friday and peak trains can present challenges to, to businesses who are typically dependent on stores for revenue. But at the same time, offers opportunities from an e-commerce point of view and all the while there are opportunities as potentially challenges in terms of the technology stack and how fit for purpose and ready platforms are to support um, you know, in- increased uh, customer volume. So we're going to dedicate the episode to, to, to looking at some of the, the, the areas in which we know you need to think about your platform to make sure it's bulletproof for peak trading. It's based on our experience, insights we've gained from other like respected professionals. I know because um, uh, having launched and co-host uh, ecom chat this is a weekly twitter chat with with dan barker i've learned tons of things from people on that chat over the years about um aligning your your uh, business for peak trading and and platform considerations so there'll be some useful insights from that as well so paul does that get is as a bit of a ramble but does that give a good enough flavor for what we're going to do today yeah absolutely yeah i think it'll probably be a bit of a mix of um technology and maybe some of the kind of yeah marketing and trading aspects but yeah yeah, and we might even have a coherent thread. You never know. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> I doubt it. Uh, so let, let's let's start with the 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 I guess the, the the critical question, which is handle excess demand when it outpaces your your current capability. So a good example is around performance. And on the chat we had, I think last week, um, around the impact of COVID on on e-commerce, a few people raised really sensible comments about, you know, how do you handle capacity so that you don't create an issue in the warehousing where you can't basically pick and pack and fulfill and get things out in the timeframes you require. And therefore you just shift the issue further down the line. So what, what's, what's your take on um, how do, how do people think about the technology stuff to make sure that they don't create unnecessary headaches around peak demand? Yeah. Um, so I think the obvious one um, is obviously planning. Uh, to start with and so making sure that you're kind of forecasting levels of demand, um, kind of trying to look back at previous years, trying to look back at previous weeks as well to try and understand what uplifts look like. Um, working with all of the vendors um, around your technology stack to make sure that you're kind of booking in overages with your hosting provider or working with your kind of SI to make sure that everything's optimized and you know they're confident um, going into your forecasted levels of orders and traffic. Um, yeah, and I think that applies to everything else around it as well. And then it's just about trying to make sure that all of the on-site stuff's planned as well. So if you do get to a point where, you know, you run out of stock for key items, where there's a lot of demand that um, you either allow for things like pre-orders, if you can achieve that and you communicate like any 
delays around um, dispatching or delivering um, and then potentially things like notify me when back in stock or data capture to try and make the most of the amount of people you've got on your site. Um, yeah, I think, and I mean, one of the things that you mentioned earlier um, as well, um, I think setting expectations for customers is a really important one um, as well, because realistically, I mean, if you do have, um, you know, pretty significant uplifts um, and potentially go beyond um, even your forecast, um, as long as you kind of communicate everything on the front end around timings, I think you can still um, make the most of that demand or at least make more of that demand as well. Um, and then I guess worst case scenario would be um, thinking about how you throttle the traffic and looking at things like queuing and um, yeah, restricting orders potentially that way. So queuing, this is this is the, the marmite of uh, e-commerce management. So you see over the years there's been a lot of criticism of big brands where their sites have said yeah. um site not currently available ever please enter the queue blah 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 high demand um there's a real split in the e-commerce community about yeah. whether queuing systems are good or bad so w- what is your take do queuing systems just drive people away to competitors or are they effective ways of setting expectation I mean, to be honest, I don't have enough data. I mean, I personally don't like them. And I think in today's world, you probably, there should be less need for queuing. Um, But equally, I guess they do solve uh, a problem. And I can definitely see why people do it. I did have a client ask me recently, they wanted to do a queuing system purely to create kind of urgency and scarcity, uh, which I thought was a bit crazy. And I definitely didn't agree with that because I think as much as you have that, you'd also lose a lot of customers as well. I, um, I think if you if you have a unique um, product that isn't easily accessible elsewhere, I can see the merit in that. Because yeah. It's kind of like how Palace Skateboards did their their new um, product range launches where the site is down for a couple of weeks and they yeah. drive up a PR and media frenzy. And then it's like everyone goes crazy and, and buys out the stock very quickly. But that's because of the audience. If you've yeah. got a commoditized good and you do that, I mean, Christ, someone's off to the next site to buy that Absolutely. freezer. So yeah, I think, I think it has to be ju- judiciously based on the product set. I think I think if you're a Supreme or Yeezy or someone like that, it makes perfect sense. But these these were like it was multi-brand retail, and I don't think that would make sense in that scenario. But um, yeah, I think really technology-wise, I think if you need to do it, obviously it's a really good solution. Um, but yeah, in terms of, I would try and avoid it where you can. I mean, the only other thing I'd add to queuing, so that's obviously front-end um, kind of customer demand. Um, the only other thing I've seen clients do like kind of loosely related to always is queuing as well a different form of queuing is with integrations as well so when they're kind of managing orders and inventory updates and things like that just being a bit more sensible with how they're um uh kind of throttling things on that side just to make sure that they don't cause any issues with um kind of the warehouse or um yeah or kind of updates either side yeah i, I think there's a couple of smart things that can be done so you can you can build some logic in at the front end that determines which delivery options are shown based on order velocity. So if you know that your maximum capacity in the warehouse is X thousand orders a day or 100 orders, whatever it might be, if you're going over that velocity rate because see spikes from marketing demand and, and Black Friday surges, is that you suddenly take off like next day as a delivery option. Uh, in the checkout because you obviously cannot satisfy that demand and process the orders quick enough so there are there are a few cute things and the other thing as well uh, I've seen and and done previously which 
can help, um, depending on what your current delivery proposition is, is if you don't have free delivery on everything as your standard, you can use free delivery as a hook with a longer service time. So say you're, you're now experiencing delays, so therefore your standard delivery is three to five days rather than one to two. Use free delivery and set the expectation that you get delivery in three to five days, but the delivery is now free and therefore you save yourself, you know, four or five pound delivery charge, a way of getting customers who have, don't have an urgent purchase to accept a longer delivery time in order for um, something of value in return. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really good advice. I think um, the more expectations you can set around shipping, um, particularly for longer lead time items in Christmas as well, um, like pre-Christmas delivery, I think more of that kind of stuff you can do. Um, yeah, the likely more people you'll convert. Yeah, and uh, there's a couple, I mean, something you touched on earlier, which which I think is interesting one is about the, you talk about the hosting um, scalability and re technical resource around support. I think that that's really important and, and varies by platform, doesn't it? We are talking about earlier, if you've got a, a SaaS platform where the whole of the, the application and the hosting is already sorted and the scalability is there, not so much of a concern. Um, but if you're, if you've got an installation of say Magento, um, and you're, or you're using another open source um, tool that isn't in a cloud, cloud-based SaaS um, like, uh, setup, making sure that you've got the right web ops resources because the reality is that the bugs that you have might accelerate as you chuck more capacity. You might need more tweaking and maintenance on the database side to keep things working correctly and, and ensure that servers aren't overloaded. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I think um, this Black Friday is probably like that's the level of preparation, I guess, that's left if this hasn't already been addressed. But yeah, but beyond that, I think technology stacks, the other one, like looking at things like Cloudflare and some of the other solutions that can help with kind of dealing with large amounts of traffic. Yeah, definitely. Um, another another thing that I, I think is often overlooked is um, having appropriate um, licenses or versions of plugins, like third parties, and making sure they work and as expected. I have found at times when people they launch in, uh, a platform um, and they get some third party plugins. Some might be free, some might be paid for. The configuration is done, all of the you know, unit testing and UAT is done, and it's great, it's working. And then as you slip into your business as usual trading, you forget about the plugins. They're just they're in the background working. And it's it's a bit of a, a, a dangerous game to play because you can sometimes get problems setting in. Like either um, there might be a bug which will be amplified if more capacity is put through it. Um, example like review, say using a third party review, and all of a sudden your automated email send out to people one week after purchase isn't working, um, or you're on a license which has a threshold to it, so that if you suddenly amplify your traffic times three that license no longer um, supports you enabling to, to, to do what you need to do to that additional traffic. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And some other examples So that's um, reminded me. So like one, another kind of prep for going into, and this is an example of what you're saying, but um, another prep for going into peak. So things like if you're using a service like MaxMind to um, deliver like, I don't know, um, uh, either GOIP based content or GOIP based redirects or um, just like fallback overlays. 
um, that's a good example of something where you probably want to check that you've got credit or there's like an auto um, renewal or something like that. Um, same principle with uh, postcode lookup and address validation, yes. which is credit based. Um, and then I've also, as you say, I've seen it with third parties where uh, things like there's a filtering app for Shopify. And if you go over a certain, uh, if you go over your um, kind of limit, um, it stops updating, so it doesn't sync the catalog anymore. Um, and then things like your pricing could be out of sync or your yep. um, kind of discounts might not be um, shown online, things like that. Yeah, it's amazing how how little little things can have uh, significant yeah. impact. So I, another one linked to that, actually, because you talked about the API stuff, basically. Do, are, do you have the connections that you need in order to service all the customers? That's critical. The next bit is, have you thought about the admin side of this? Because... Um, a lot of third parties you have separate agreements with in some uh, are done on invoices rather than automated car payments to so have invoices being paid if for some reason the finance team has sat on an invoice for a week longer than it should have done has that impacted it and I've had this with with a client where um, a third party review engine slipped from premium to free because the invoice was um, overdue and had missed the reminder. So all of a sudden the API access was lost, which means we couldn't actually do any of the automated pushes to send out reviews. So it's really important to, to, to do good housekeeping ahead of peak to make sure there aren't any little gremlins that are going to cause you problems that you don't need. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and with some of those as well, the other one is thinking about what you might have to do on the day if something does go wrong with some of those third parties. Like if you're using a platform like Shopify, you're probably using a number of third parties that rely on kind of catalogue updates and even beyond that, actually, any platform. Um, and things like knowing that, you know, if there is an issue with pricing not updating in your search solution or your product recs engine, um, knowing that you might need to do a manual sync and just having people kind of, I guess, on um, standby to know that they might need to do that. Yeah, definitely. I think I think it's always a good thing to do a, a mini audit um, ahead of any like um, peak seasons to check that that things things are scalable, things are workable, um, and having a simple checklist gives you a bit of peace of mind as well. Uh, and sometimes it's just a sanity check and nothing needs to be done. But better to find out before than during because there's nothing worse than setting customer expectations and they're not being able to meet them or invest in money in paid media and then screwing up your conversion off the back of it because things aren't working yeah absolutely and um another good one just um as like a sub point to that one with the paid media um auditing your 404 traffic is a really good one as well so just going into ga finding the title the meta title of your 404 page uh filtering pages by page title um and just looking at the all of your 404 traffic trying to fix any that are an issue and then also anything coming from a paid channel or um or any other channel really just trying to get those um fixed before black friday yeah and actually another one linked to to the point that you made about um doing your checks and making sure that 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 things are working is um so i've seen this with with third-party search tools where the search uh tool is providing um standard data into like search preview so when you 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 open up the search and you've got your your search um type ahead uh area and you have a set of products showing by default, so there's never a blank screen, and that is dependent on a f- on a, f- a flag sent through the API into that search engine from the commerce platform. And all of a sudden, if that part of the data feed's not working, you end up with search opening in a completely blank screen, so that there's nothing to try and engage people with product or bestsellers or latest deals. Um, 
and then the second bit with is aligning that at a third party search or even even if it's a native search tool with key campaigns so that if people are searching for um, key uh, like brand strap lines used in campaigns or they're searching for things like sale, Black Friday, clearance deals, that you're not sending to a zero results page, that you've understood that that demand for those specific queries around that time of year. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you mentioned the word data feeds as well, and that's obviously a big one in terms of making sure that all of the um, product data with any kind of discount supplied um, is being is perfect going into Google, Facebook, Bing. Um, yeah, just making sure that that's all kind of optimized and being checked regularly on the day as you're applying kind of different uh, catalog yeah. reductions, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. And data feeds can be one of those those beautiful areas where people use a third-party data feed um, uh, specialist and that specialist is sending out the data feeds. But if something happens your end from where you're pushing the data into them, like something's changed in the data feed from the commerce platform or that data feed's no longer working anymore. Yeah, and you're right, the, the third-party data feed's instantly compromised. So yeah, that's a good point to think about. Uh, the other question I had for you, uh, and I know that, that that you look at site performance and page speed as well, is what sort of checks do you advise people to check that pages are built correctly, working correctly to handle volume? Because a page that's had very little um, traffic going to it can look like it works fine to the naked eye, but when you suddenly chuck Know, tens hundreds of concurrent users you can see a different picture so what, what is your approach to that yeah so i guess you put you probably like assuming you have either a development team or an si um i think that's probably a case of working with them um so i i probably look less at pages although i agree like specific pages can have performance issues and probably more at certain things so like maybe i mean filtering something that you mentioned before um and that's an example of something that can um kind of slow down or even um, cause a site to go down under a lot of pressure and stuff like that, making sure that um, kind of you're in a good position and your kind of technology isn't going to let you down there. And also that maybe um, your SI is kind of planned for um, increased level of stress in some of those areas. Um, and then beyond that, I think, you know, standard performance checks around pages in terms of things like images and any kind of additional JavaScript you're adding to the page. Um, is probably worth doing, um, particularly on, I mean, I guess you're going to have Black Friday, Black Friday landing pages and different PLPs. Um, and I guess, yeah, it's well worth just checking that they're kind of performant and again, yeah, particularly filtering um, is kind of optimised and capable of handling large amounts of traffic. Yeah, the filter one, definitely. I think you're right, it's the page interactions because when you've got loads and loads of people trying to use something which is draining database resources, does that cumulative effect um, hamper page speed because you're not set up to, to cope with that? Good example I have with one client is on a list page where, um, and it was on Magento, where basically the list page was slowing down massively because it was calling all the product data to load the products in the list instead of just the product data needed to show the product information in the list page, which is basically a you know, product title, price, etc. Um, so sometimes there are even little things technically you can do to minimize the amount of data that's being called into the page to reduce that that, um, that uh, page effort and therefore make it feel quicker for the customer. Yeah, and I think if you've um, if it's not the current upcoming Black Friday and you've got a bit more time, maybe looking at things like Elasticsearch um, and kind of, yeah, just making sure that things like your search and filtering, particularly with Magento, um, are kind of able to cope with, um, yeah, more kind of stress, I guess. 
Yeah, definitely. And I, another one kind of linked to this is um, uh, like smart categories. Like different platforms have different terminologies, like automatic category, smart category, where you're generating sale-based category pages using dynamic rules rather than manually adding products into a, 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 a page and checking whether or not those rules are working correctly and bringing in the correct products. Like, have you got any data anomalies where you thought you were bringing in like women's dresses um, under a hundred pounds and actually it's got um, other products being pulled into it for some odd reason, being really um, scrupulous in your attention to detail and not just doing an auto page and saying job done, but really checking from a front end point of view that it's displaying correctly and, any merchandising rules you've added to to define sort orders and list orders are working correctly too. Yeah, and I think the one that we haven't talked about yet actually related to some of these bits is um, caching and making sure that you're planning um, kind of how the cache is going to work and kind of how you're updating it with when you're kind of updating pricing and um, like in Magento, like catalog price rules. Um, yeah, and just making sure that that doesn't prevent any updates and also that you're kind of, um, thinking about caching and how you leverage that to kind of um, help performance um, as well and handle the traffic. Yeah, definitely. What what I love about uh, during that is just as just as I was coming off mute, um, the uh, the uh, collection uh, um, lorry came round and started smashing glass outside the window, which was perfect. <laughs> um, so for those listening, you might have some nice uh, nice background ambient noise for this episode. Um, so let's move on to the next one. And uh, this is this is a critical one. Stress testing checkouts and payment flows. So again, I think this is something that people take for granted, which is we have a checkout, we've got a payment uh, gateway you might be using. You might be on Shopify using Shopify payments. You might be uh, on Magento using an Agen. I mean, there's so many different uh, combinations out there, but it works. It's business as usual. But does it work as efficiently if all of a sudden you're doing three, four, five times the number of orders and uh, payment methods that aren't typically used often get used more? So based on your experience and based on what you think is sensible, what, what sort of platform checks and tweaks need to be made around the checkout area? Yeah, so I think the kind of pre-peak auditing around things like your logs with your payment gateway and any kind of errors you've seen on that side, I think is important. And maybe just making sure that all of your kind of thresholds um, allow a kind of okay, I guess, just going into, yeah, peak, um, like in terms of things like fraud and um, kind of blocking of payments are all um, kind of okay and not, there aren't any issues there just because of the peak. Um, but beyond that, I guess, um, yeah, like, as you say, kind of just stress testing and um, making sure that you've kind of, um, I guess the site in general, but the checkout is going to be one of the big ones where that could in theory be impacted by high levels of traffic. So just making sure you're doing the right levels of kind of uh, technical testing and load balancing and kind of testing um, different levels of volume going into the peak um, is an important one. Yeah, definitely. And a couple of ones that that, that, I, that I've seen uh, cause issues is is checking um, for promotion codes that they're working correctly. And this applies to where you just have a, a, a code that's entered into the checkout to apply it. Also, where there's an automated um, discount based on basket conditions or user groups. It's really, really important because if you've got a, a complex promotion setup based on eligibility criteria around, you know, buy one, get one free or 
any three from this range and you save X is making sure that those are working correctly. You're not giving away discounts on products that aren't eligible for it. So really pays to play around with the checkout on promotion codes and even check simple things like what happens if somebody uh, has got a caps lock on and they enter the promotion code um, or they haven't got caps lock on and your promotion code that you put in your marketing is in caps. Does the does the um, checkout recognize it and accept it, or do you get rejections of actually valid codes just because of like mixed sentence cases? So there's lots of little things that can trip customers up and then create a customer service headache, or even worse, get people uh, you know buggering off from your website and going off to to try and find a voucher code from a voucher code site. Um, you know that you, you obviously want to minimize leakage. Yeah, and I think um, as well, like making sure that if you have any existing areas around kind of uh, the application of promo codes or eligibility of promo codes, getting those fixed as well. So if you can, I always suggest putting a survey on uh, your checkout like all the time, but also before Black Friday, um, because often things like the visibility of the promo code box on mobile or the promo, co- promo code box only being in the cart, for example, or only being in the checkout, um, things like like that are important and then also if you're offering a 10% off code um, that can be a big frustration because most platforms natively only support a single uh, use or like one um, coupon code being applied at any one time and thinking about that as well Um, and then also just making sure that coupon codes are eligible with things like how you're handling loyalty or any kind of um, other customer level discounts you're offering just to avoid any kind of frustrations or yeah, definitely. And and one other that area that, that can cause headaches for especially for customer service teams is around um, fraud management rules. So where you you have a, a kind of fraud threshold where um, the payment gateway using it, it's like machine learning algorithm flags an order uh, as fraudulent and the order is not automatically processed during peak that can escalate. You can get a higher um, instance of this. So do you have a robust evaluation and follow-up process so that you are not blocking uh, orders that are genuine orders and frustrating customers and losing money for no reason and, and losing them to competitors? It's why some people in the past who've, who've struggled with um, like a, a disproportionately high um, uh, um, failure rate for payments have turned to tools like Signified, uh, which uh, you know one of the key um, benefits of Signified is not just to uh, handle fraud but it's also to increase acceptance rates on orders so that you you maximize the uh, revenue through the platform so it's really important to, to check that process and not just assume it's working check have a look coming back to paul's earlier point testing different types of um, order going to your uat site attach your uat payment environment different payment methods different billing and delivery addresses all those different combinations and see whether anything is tripping um, uh, you know, your, your fraud blocks when it shouldn't be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's another area, like in terms of like preparing team members, um, like people in the warehouse as well, kind of knowing um, like when to check for fraud when they're uh, dispatching orders, not kind of overlooking that with the higher volumes, um, especially if you're not using something like Signified. Um, and then the other one I was going to just, I don't know what made me think of this, but live chat is another one. Um, just making sure that your like, team managing the live chat are kind of um, fully aware of everything to do with Black Friday. And potentially, dependent on, uh, and this will differ for different businesses, but sometimes, and also depending on which live chat solution you're using, but live chat 
particularly if you're using something like Zendesk or like the Zendesk live chat widget, um, you could potentially take that off the site to help improve performance going into Black Friday. Um, and also it might help if you if you can't actually handle those higher levels of demand or uh, if you're using a bit more of a or a more sophisticated live chat solution, you could change the triggering rules so that it's only uh, being displayed for users that look like they're struggling. Yeah, good point as well. Um, excellent. So this is this is feeling quite structured. I thought we might end up in so far. rabbit warrens and and tangents, but uh, uh, lots <laughs> lots of practical uh, practical advice. Good. So let's move on to another one, uh, and again, one which which uh, often surprises me is you you get uh, you get the classic build up during the year of um you know backlog items for uh, you know support desk or uh, you know bug fixing enhancements tweaks new features and inevitably in the scramble for for resource things that aren't revenue generating often get deprioritized so you might have bugs in back office tools like you know the um the search bar for searching for like orders or products in an admin suite doesn't work perfectly but hey do you know what it's not stopping us taking orders and it's not directly contrary to revenue so that's a p3 and it's been sat there for four or five months however you hit you hit peak trading customer service are getting run off their feet with a, a, a spike in inbound inquiries phone calls orders you name it order queries issues all of a sudden these bugs become an absolute pain in the ass and slow them down from doing the value add stuff such as taking new orders. Um, I don't know whether you've seen this before or not, but I've certainly seen customer service teams get inundated and not be able to service the demand as effectively as possible because of bugs that slow them down. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's just a case of um, like going through those bugs probably and prioritizing and just making sure that you're um yeah kind of giving the team everything they need to get the most out of the demand and just making sure that anything that's going to impact like more people being on the site more people going through the checkout um and then more uh, order processing um yeah is prioritized yeah definitely it's about giving the 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 teams the tools to to you know support these campaigns as effectively as possible i mean one one example i've got is from where in the back office um, admin tool, there was a search search box for um, customers in the in the customer view, but because there was such a massive um, database of customers that when people were searching for for very generic things that had lots of matches, it was freezing because it was trying to search through so many records that the the memory just couldn't cope with it. So it meant that the customer service person was then frozen out of completing that query then if they went closed down the admin tool and went back into it it's still trying to uh, run the query it hadn't um, ended that session for them so they couldn't get back and use it meaningfully so then it had to involve a uh, technical resource to basically um, sort that out each time which was completely crazy so making sure that these things are, are not in the way of people is essential um, next thing on my list is how you use email, um, SMS alerts, how we talked about queuing earlier when you've got spikes in yeah. demand, how you can use techniques to get people into automated and triggered campaigns to reduce um, the demand on the front end because you'll bring them back when things are ready or you're alerting them when you want them to come to the site. So 
what what do you think sensible use of uh, e-commerce um, platforms and marketing tools to, to to do this around peak trading so you maximize your marketing opportunity yeah so i think um going into peak um trying to capture emails um so a lot of brands tend to do like um a landing page and then send paid traffic to that landing page or potentially data capture pop-up or um, like a notification bar uh, promoting uh, the sale and then send, and then they'll send updates. And I think that also, the more people you have on that, the more you can potentially stagger traffic as well. And that's another thing to bear in mind. Like I've seen people like marketing teams take down um, e-com sites on Black Friday by sending uh, emails to an entire database as opposed to staggering it throughout the day and um, so that's another one but i also think talking about email and also potentially sms because um, at the minute everyone's talking about sms i feel like i get asked about it constantly by clients and then also like every marketing vendor is now offering it and i personally don't have much experience with it but it sounds like it's uh, it can be a really strong marketing channel um in terms of kind of conversion rates just because it's not as saturated as email um but i think in terms of like one of the biggest things that i push our clients to do um is capture more data so if your traffic's times by three over that four day period um just trying to kind of get people opted into the database um i feel like people are a little bit more willing as well if there's um different kind of promotions on offer and um and if they're kind of a bit more um engaged with the site so just maybe improving data capture um approaches so maybe that's a good time to test things like um exit intent pop-ups or um the timing of data capture forms or maybe making them kind of brand specific and trying to personalize them to the user a bit more um yeah and also another thing that i always try to discuss before black friday if it's a newer client is opt-in strategy as well so just making sure that the opt-in strategy is kind of optimized and so say for example a lot of our clients would do opt-out rather than opt-in um which is kind of i guess it's always been a bit of a gray area but in theory is can be gdpr compliant um, and that can be the difference between 30 percent and 60 percent of people that order um, going into uh, um, your email database and all of that kind of stuff i think just trying to make the most of traffic and then um also in addition to email so through email you should build out different segments for people that have you know only ever purchased sale items or purchased on previous black friday cyber mondays etc um, and once you've done that i would take those segments and use them as audiences on social as well because that can perform really well and for yeah. lookalikes as well yeah nice advice and that a, a couple of things that, that that i've done that have worked well so the main one is on exit intent. So a standard one where people abandon basket is you get a pop-up which says, don't forget your basket. Um, but a lot of basket abandonment activity is, is an actual part of the sales cycle. So they haven't forgotten it. Um, but the reality is once they've left the site that they can easily. So using that to for um, guest users where you don't have an email address to do basket abandonment emails because they haven't reached the checkout yet, doing the pop-up where it says um uh, get your get your basket direct to your inbox um uh, you know give us your email that becomes opt-in becomes gdpr compliant which then enables you to push them into your basket abandonment um email program so you you get them on that they get their um basket sent straight to their email and you know one day later two days later and because it's opt-in 
it means that you can then um, be more marketing focused in those emails rather than if you've got a checkout abandonment where you've captured an email address but you don't have an opt-in permission then you have to be service-based and you can't use marketing promotions in it otherwise you'll be against the gdpr regulation so there's a couple of little um, techniques you can use around exit intent to help you get people into those opt-in flows as well um, the other thing but actually um, i was reading an article from luke carthy who we've had on the podcast previously and he wrote a useful post on lukecarthy.com about preparing for black friday and he was talking about how people sometimes put really good landing pages up ahead of it. So, yeah, they're obviously trying to get organic SEO traffic in on it. Um, but then they leave people ha hanging because if the deals aren't ready in live, what do people do? They look at the landing page. OK, great. There's nothing here for me. So his example was Curry's really good Black Friday landing page, but they didn't have um, an email sign up, as you're saying, for them to then get alerts uh, and to get you know deals direct to their inbox. So making sure that landing pages um, are aligned with marketing capture ahead of when deals are available is really important. Yeah, I agree. Some good advice there. I think um, another like random tip that um, you've reminded me of somewhere through that um, was pushing. So pushing filters, basically, because you're likely to, so not necessarily filters, but you're likely to have broken stock um, over the peak period. So particularly if you're in fashion and maybe, you know, 60% of your orders for specific items uh, might only sell in like extra small or small. Um, in that scenario, just pushing kind of filters to the top of the page. Um, so linking out to like small, like, yeah, basically the sizes, because um, one of the things that I've seen in the past is basically brow the conversion rate dropping significantly because people just can't find their size on the items that they're looking to buy. And then the other thing would be with your paid channels, um, just monitoring that stock really closely because from a Google shopping perspective, if you've got a lot of budget allocated to specific um, product categories, um, but yeah, all of the key sizes have gone on all of the key items, um, you're just going to waste your budget. Um, so yeah, monitoring that really closely yeah. is another one. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, what? one one uh, simple thing that isn't always thought about is how clear and easy is it for people to get to things like the Black Friday shop or the Christmas shop through navigation as a persistent way instead of just relying on on page content. So making sure that the main menu navigation has got a clear and unambiguous entry point into that specific section of the site. I know yeah. this is a no-brainer, but it's amazing not everyone not everyone does it. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing you should split test is um, where you're sending Black Friday traffic um, in terms of like just a standard. Um, I think I didn't remember I cut out there or you cut out there. Oh, when? Uh, so you you stopped talking for like 15 seconds and then carried on or like maybe 10 seconds but I think it might be my internet oh so well let's repeat it where where at what point what was I talking about navigation uh, yeah exactly yeah so um making so the just, page visible on site so I'll just repeat that then yeah so just start it again and I'll let it just pause so that I see it <laughs> okay yeah, and one last thing, and I know this is an absolutely obvious thing, but sometimes obvious things aren't aren't um, aren't uh, done properly. It's making sure that there is a a clear navigation path to you know Christmas shops or Black Friday 
um, shopping shops through the main menu navigation. I know most sites do it, but not everyone does and they rely on on-page content. Um, so really important so that if somebody wants to get straight into the sale clearance, they can quite easily. And also the, the other linked point to that is, especially around Christmas time, not everybody wants to shop for Christmas. Not everybody celebrates Christmas and not everyone's excited by Christmas. So if everything on your site is purely about Christmas, you do risk alienating those who are looking for non-Christmas based uh, experiences. So it's important to get a balance. Um, so clear navigation helps, but also not taking over your whole site to stop people who aren't interested in Christmas from continuing to shop with you. Yeah. And I think um, also testing, like if you're bidding on brand uh, on branded keywords and also um, just any kind of black Friday keywords as well, testing um, sending traffic to your homepage versus PLP versus content landing pay um, and just constantly running a test on that side as well is um, it's good practice. Yes. Yep. Good advice as well. Um, I think that's exhausted my brain for the day in terms of like the key points that, that I thought were important for people to, to, to listen to and think about. How about yourself? Have we missed anything obvious? We probably have, but. Uh, not that I can think of. I think, um, yeah, I mean, really it's just trying to keep it, keep things simple. Um, yeah. Just promote products that are likely to sell really well and have big discounts to people that are most likely to buy them. Um, and then also, yeah, just making sure the technical side, you've done your due diligence, you've planned for like increased demand. I think that's, yeah. that's the fundamental thing, isn't it? Brilliant. Cool. Well, hopefully that's been uh, a interesting ramble for our listeners. Um, it's not exhaustive. I know there's there's lots of other considerations, but we try to touch on some of the key things that, that, that can you know, trip people up. Um, any questions, please feel free to reach out to myself or Paul uh, on social media. Um, and then, yeah, keep keep your um, ears open for the next uh, episode. So we've got we've got a few interesting ones coming up. So we have uh, Big Commerce joined us to talk about uh, platform evolution, um, what's happened in 2020 since their IPO. So really interesting insights into, into where the platform's going. And then after that, we have um, uh, some you know, interesting interviews with PriceSync in terms of price management software and Amasis uh, in terms of customer experience platform integration. So some really, really um, cool guests uh, upcoming over the next few weeks.